0: Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about which are the best, best picture Oscar winners of all time and which are the worst? We have a certified guest this week and I cannot wait to bring him on. But first, I want to say hello to Friends of the Pod and my fellow co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. How's it going, Mark?
2: Well, it, it was good, Jack. When That intro made it feel like you're just excited to get to the guest and, and you don't really care about interacting with me because this week we're talking about highfalutin movies and old Mark Ellis, who loves 13 Hours directed by Michael Bay and thinks White Men Can't Jump is the best movie of all time. Maybe his opinion isn't as, as heavily weighted here as it would be in other episodes. Is that what you're trying to say off the bat?
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm definitely saying that this is going to bring it. But yes, he more, importantly, more importantly, um, we're in my wheelhouse this week. Mm-hmm. I'm excited because this is literally what I sweat and bleed every single day over at Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'll be going on vacation uh, very shortly after um, the season is over because I'm exhausted. Because I is, saw the I different about-
2: background. And I was like, wait a minute. Is she sneaking out on me? Is she yeah. Is she skipping town? Because I know how hard you work. And I will say this for everybody. This is Jacqueline's playoff season. This is her tax season. This is where Jacqueline gets so excited, gets so sweaty about all these movies. But it also has got to be exhausting work, hitting all those deadlines, doing all those interviews, making all those projections, which are usually very accurate. My mom wins her Oscar pool based on what Jacqueline Coley says every year. And so <laughs> if anybody does this a vacation after this episode it definitely ain't me
0: (laughs) it's definitely not you oh I wouldn't say that I think you absolutely (laughs) deserve to win an Oscar um so does our (laughs) guest this week so does this entire list honestly because um I actually learned a little party trick I I came up with a like a like a, a word associated way to remember all 93 Oscar winners I am not the best at remembering it in like an order like if you ask me for 1957 I can't do it but it's sort of like the 50 states song where it's like oh I can do the list with my little fun little gang but I can't do it but the person we have coming on can absolutely do that but before we bring them Mark why don't you run down for us just the top 10 rankings of best pictures winner from rottentomatoes.com
2: yeah and so these rankings are as of the recording of this because the tomato meter is subject to change occasionally and what i want to let everybody else also know is that these are based on the adjusted tomato meter where there's a certain algorithm that factors in the amount of reviews that have come in for a film so say for a 1940 classic like rebecca that did win best picture that might be way differently than something like the shape of water which was released just a few years ago because you have so such a disparity between how many many critics were actually reviewing it happily for all you hitchcock fans out there rebecca still in the top 10 so these are your top 10 adjusted i'm not going to give you the adjusted score i'm just going to give you what the certified fresh tomato meter number is at number 10 is 1951's an american in paris at 96 percent certified fresh Number nine is The Shape of Water from 2017, 92% certified fresh. Number eight is Spotlight at 97% certified fresh. That, of course, from 2015. We go a little bit further back to our number seven movie, which is Rebecca, 100% fresh way back in 1940. We go back up to the modern era with 2016's classic Moonlight, 98% certified fresh. At number five is All About Eve and even 1950 released there, 99% certified fresh. Number four, tough to think of three movies that are more beloved than this, is The Godfather at 1972's, 97% certified fresh for that one. Number three is Casablanca from 1942, 99% certified fresh. At 98% certified fresh is our number two movie, Parasite from 2019, and at number one, 99% certified fresh. Drum roll, please. It happened one night just edging out Howard the Duck for that spot. Jacqueline, (laughs) it is going to be fun to get into these movies. Which ones do we love? Which ones are a little too high up there? Which other movies from Oscar war past do we hold dear to our hearts?
0: Excellent. Yes. And I want to be clear. So the list that's on rotten is a breakdown of the 93 best picture winners. There's only been 93 years of Oscar. For those of you that are a little curious about that, the very first year of Oscar, there was actually two winners. Although the general consensus nowadays is that wings, which was awarded one of the two prizes that year is actually what we consider a best picture,
2: but thank you for pointing two. that out. It is some of Crystal yes. Bernard's finest work, Thomas Hayden church. <laughs> Working on Airplanes, Steven Weber, great, great 90s sitcom Wings.
0: No, no, 1927 Wings, uh, which was one of the first movies that was awarded primarily because it was such a huge technical achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Sunrise, um, A Song of Two Humans, was also from the same year. Anyway, going back, that's, that, that's just a little Oscar breakdown. Um, Producy Lucy is also on hand with us this week. I know she's an Oscar fan favorite, right?
3: yes i love the oscars i'm dressed like the statue today i just realized (laughs) that
0: you dressed up for this and i look like i'm auditioning for a second for a new live action version of Listen, your
3: your night is next week or actually this week when the oscars this weekend when the oscars uh air no um i love the oscars my favorites fall um Written by the same person, Robert Bolt, my my favorites fall number, currently number 18, and I think number 73 on the list. So this list is wrong, everybody.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, if there's anybody that can help um, sort of clock that for us, it's definitely one of our top critics who is joining us here today for the podcast mr eric cone he's the executive editor and chief critic at IndieWire. um i really feel like that is such a short intro for what this man does but i will add one little epitaph because on top of hosting a podcast and being all around he actually gave me my first byline at a major trade publication so he's a friend of the pod in very many ways eric welcome to rotten tomatoes
4: is wrong how you doing sir Hey, good to be here. Happy that byline worked out. Seems like the I know, podcast a bit. is really delivering on that front. Yeah, I love how you guys built me up early on by saying I'm just some sort of highfalutin movie guy who only likes stuff that a small subset of movie lovers like to watch as, as the rest of the world <laughs> not looks at we, them. Not we.
0: Don't put a we in there. That was a mark.
4: <laughs> okay. Okay. So he wants to play that role. I mean, I watched the F9 trailer just like everyone else, and I thought, I hope it's good. You know, but you spend most of the year traveling around watching things from all over the world. And then you come back and you want to tell the world about them. And, and most people just don't want to pay attention. It's all about that lowest common denominator. But but the truth is, I mean, look, the Oscars can can lift up all kinds of fascinating movies and, and create conversations about what we want Hollywood to be. I mean, when Mad Max crossed over and became this Oscar juggernaut. I thought that was pretty badass, so I'm always hoping to see that sort of confluence of like pop culture and then the really out there stuff that is not crossing over getting celebrated by these award shows. It's just you know it's a it's a tricky rat race to to get through, and especially this year, which runs so much longer than usual. I have no idea where we're heading with all this.
0: Looking at it um, just from a first glance from you, you know, we got Shape of Water in there. It's somewhat now, I think, a controversial Best Picture winner. We've got Spotlight, a surprise when it took down, you know, the sort of big name juggernaut. But I'm just curious for you, Eric, um, what do you think? Are we wrong about this top 10? I personally feel it's right now, considering that Frank Capra's at the top with It Happened One Night, (laughs) but that's just my opinion. Like after that, I'm like, we can argue the rest, but I love having that at number one.
4: I adore that movie and, and screwball comedies from that era. I think it's a, it's a bit odd for a ceremony that's been around for almost a century that this sort of quirky love story of sorts is 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 the greatest. And of course, it's always this weird sort of subjective marathon to define what that means. But I, I but I did find that a bit surprising to me. Justice for Sunrise, F. W. Murnau's movie is like. One of the first great illustrations of how to tell a grand love story through the moving images, and if you haven't seen it, it's it's. I mean, it was sort of the tail end of German expressionism, although it's a, not exactly that kind of movie. But it, Murnau was that kind of storyteller in terms of how he he told things, and it's just a very gorgeous, tragic. Uh, a drama of sorts that uh, that I I think of, of all the films on on this overall list should be somewhere closer to the top ten. But there there's uh, there's nothing on that list of the actual top ten right now that I would say is is bad. And and a lot of strong movies. I never thought that Spotlight was quite of the caliber that other people thought probably because as a working journalist i I always find it strange when people try to dramatize that work like why is mark ruffalo running places all the time like just because he got a scoop like the story will still be there if he takes the subway and doesn't rush there was something very, very strange to me about how much attention was given to Spotlight as this monumental movie when I thought it was just a very sturdy drama. So there's there I could certainly quibble with the list, but I wouldn't say there's anything on there that I think, you know, shouldn't be part of the conversation.
0: Mark, I'm going to go to you next. Um,
2: where are you on here? Like, do you feel have you seen most of the stuff on here? I would imagine you've seen most of this. I have. Yeah. And and I will say two things off the bat. I am uh, firmly team spotlight, um, n- not only because I love the Boston accents in that movie, but also it, it is the, the, those smaller moments like where it's it's about protecting the town. And then you see Michael Keaton just go against these people who he's relied on for information and sources for, for decades. And he's just like, no, it's about the town and it's about saving this town. I thought that was awesome. I also agree that it is such a triumph for the world of comedy or people who enjoy laughing and having the occasional lightheartedness in movies where sometimes people give the perception to Oscar winners that they're always heavy, dramatic material. It happened one night still being number one to me is is just fills my heart with happiness. I will say. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about this top 10. But when you say it's wrong, you have to be willing to take movies out. You can't just say, well, there's only one movie from the 1970s that are on here. There's no Godfather 2. There's no Rocky. There's no Annie Hall. From the 1960s, there's nothing. There's no Sound of Music. There's no Lawrence of Arabia. But the question remains, what do you take out? For me, I I really like The Shape of Water. I, I think I could live with that not being in the top 10 but everything else feels like it it belongs there. I would have to you'd have to refresh my memory for an American in Paris, but everything else I've seen, Fairly recently, as a matter of fact, because I was doing research for Oscar winners past and present by decade for Versus, the show that you can currently watch. And it was it was just such a fun deep dive to revisit a bunch of movies that I had either seen a long time ago or had never seen. And so I feel actually caught up on most of the Oscar fair. It's a the, the list is incorrect, but it's a damn good starting place and a fine representation of what movies have meant to the category of best picture winner over the years
0: um all you need to well thank you for that one mark all you need to know about an american in paris is that gene kelly is a god
2: <laughs> <Co-sign>.
0: <laughs> and Minelli did not uh, just uh Minnelli and technicolor there you go i, I think that kind of sums it up but seven brides for seven brothers any of those like grand sort of huge sweeping musicals is the reason why i will always look for that one but hey that's, that's not it. I, I think the, the top 10 is a great top 10. I think I've, I've definitely seen every single one of them. I've loved every single one of those movies to a various degree at a certain time. I really like Shape of Water. Um, I think the book is still out on whether or not it is going to be one of those ones that's looked the same way in a few years, just because when you look at what Get Out did, and everything that that movie created and and spawned and and sort of inspired and just this this high watermark, not just for representation, but for the different types of storytellers that can make waves that big of a scale. The fact that it was a February release that managed to hold momentum through the year, that's the real thing about Get Out that does not get talked about enough. (laughs) Let's go ahead and get someone to sort of break down for us a little bit of the top 10 as far as what critics thought about them, but primarily our new number one, because this is a new thing. So uh, our review curation manager, Tim, who has barely gotten oxygen and coffee this week, trying to update this list of best picture winners with new reviews. Let's go ahead and take it to him next and have him break down for us. Two minutes with Tim on our top 10. Go ahead. Take it away, Tim.
4: Two minutes
0: with
3: Tim.
1: We've been doing an archive project over the last couple of years, and the focus on it is to collect contemporaneous reviews of older films. So movies before they were classics, when they were new movies. As a result, we have a new best-reviewed Best Picture of All Time, which is also the best-reviewed film in Rotten Tomatoes history as of about a week ago. And that movie is Frank Capra's 1934 romantic comedy It Happened One Night. It's certified fresh at 99% on the meter with 96 reviews, and it has a 93% audience score. I want to note that just because something is the best reviewed film of all time does not mean it's the best film of all time. It's based on a combination of Tomatometer score and number of reviews and year of release. So as a result, It Happened One Night now tops the list. It's the story of a rich girl played by Claudette Colbert, who is trying to do everything to get to New York City to marry her fiancé over the objections of her father. And through a series of misadventures, she ends up on the road with a grizzled newspaper man looking for redemption and a big story played by Clark Gable. It Happened One Night doesn't announce its greatness right away. It has this slow building momentum that comes out of a kind of absurd story and just hits some real heights of hilarity or at least a certain warmth that is really ingratiating. You really are rooting for these people. (laughs) as they go along on their journey. The thing about something like It Happened One Night is you can see its influence everywhere nowadays, from the bickering couple who end up really caring for each other to movies about mismatched people on the road It can remind you of something like Midnight Run or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. There's a scene in which a tense bus ride is enlivened by everybody singing along to a popular song, which is kind of what happens in Almost Famous. The movie was released four months before the production code, which attempted to keep movies from lowering the moral standards of those who see it. So it's a bit more risque and therefore a bit more modern than some of the movies of its ilk that came out even a short time afterwards. So does this make this the greatest movie of all time? That's not really what's being measured. Here, It's the best reviewed film of all time. And of the 96 critics who reviewed it, only one gave it a thumbs down. There was a New Yorker review that uh, thought it was kind of frilly and frivolous. But what did most of the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Jack Moffat of the Kansas City Star wrote, their misadventures are so hilarious that audiences give themselves up to one long spasm of laughter from the first shot to the last. But behind all the hilarity, there is tenderness and sympathy. In another fresh review, Caroline Lejeune of London's Observer wrote, it is my broad opinion as a motion picture fan that It Happened One Night is one of the most entertaining films that has ever been offered to the public. So I think you should probably see It Happened One Night. But if you go in, you should probably moderate some of your expectations, just get swept up in sort of the charm and the romance. You end up really caring about the main characters, and there's just something sweet about it. While also, there's just a bunch of really funny scenes that hold up today. So anyway... There's a bunch of other Best Picture winners. A lot of them are really good. Some of them are pretty dubious. If you're asking me what my favorite is, it's probably got to be The Godfather, but that doesn't mean there <laughs> there isn't greatness in a bunch of other corners of the Best Picture winners. Back to you, Jacqueline.
0: Oh, wow. Thanks, Tim. I love the way Tim adds a little bit of humor and a little wink and a
2: smile at everything going on,
0: even stuff that goes back to 1930.
2: Four, seven. <laughs> he, puts, he puts a little bit of, he makes a nice souffle. And then right before he hands it back to us, there's just a little bit of hot sauce he puts on there.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, what about what about you, Eric? Um, real quickly, um, I know you haven't met him, but I'm interested to hear about you, hear him talk about the critics because I think this is the first time we've had someone who's been reviewing as long as you have. was definitely was doing this bef- before Rotten Tomatoes, maybe even? Maybe, but certainly maybe?
4: not around the time that it happened one night came out so i'm kind of curious to look up the the new yorker critic who called it frivolous because the thing about it happened one night is that it is it is kind of cheesy i mean it's it's a rom-com but it's it's doing it in a very particular way that i think we do take for granted and i like that breakdown and recognizing some of the tropes we've seen that are sort of like like Movies that make you feel good in a particular moment, like the sing along scene, and what you know, how that works, and the way that's sort of continued over the years. The one trope we didn't mention that I think is really crucial is something that I I think film scholars call it the comedy of remarriage. It's this idea Mm -hmm. that people cut some, a couple comes together over the course of a movie. At some point, that coupling falls apart. And then at the end, you get the satisfaction when they come back together. You know, the, the thing about it happened one night, the spoiler alert is somebody at the altar for a wedding who runs away, realizes they can't go through with it because they want to be with this other person. And you're sort of, the this drama and, this, and the, the payoff comes from watching them come back together. You look at a movie like Borat, subsequent movie film, they have talked in interviews about how it happened one night was the template for the ending of that movie where he bursts into the hotel room and realizes that this father-daughter combo needs to come back together. So you see that kind of storytelling trope travel through times. It's very reliable. And I think what's important to understand about a movie like this and how critics have responded to it is that it really is the sort of paragon of that formula and everything that's come after it is sort of building on that. So it's no surprise that most of the critics are saying this is a formula that works in a very particular way because it basically invented it.
0: Yeah. Also, I will note um, the best thing I love is when people take the history and, you know, they studied it very deeply to subvert it, not just show it in a different light, maybe painting, painting it with a new skin. That's what Borat does. It paints it with this broad, you know, improvisational Mm -hmm. comedy and makes it a father-daughter. But what's interesting is when something like The Graduate subverts that moment. uh, And then it just becomes something completely different and you can't have that awkward bus ride without the expectation that these two should be making out and in love. Anyway,
2: this is or, why you all need, or, or when Wayne's world two subverts the graduate and everything comes full circle. I mean, yeah, it, I love the word too. formula <laughs> with it happened one night because it, it is, it's the Coca-Cola classic of romantic comedies. Yeah,
0: I really do. And yeah, this yeah. is another reason why I'm saying everyone, please, always check out the classics. I know some of them are problematic and you may feel like it's stuff that you've seen before, but if you happen to have a basis in classical film, you will always, I think, enjoy filmmakers even more when they push those envelopes. But let's get down to breaking down exactly what is on um, the top 10 list. And so we're gonna go ahead and move into our main conversation. Christian, cue up the music. Let's go ahead and take a look at this top 10. Eric, what's your favorite film off the top 10 list?
4: It's tricky. I mean, I, I think the more that the, that I look at a list like this, the more that I realize that there's a lot of stuff on there that I like for different kinds of reasons, but haven't thought about for a long time. So if I had to pick a number one on this list, I guess it would be, it would probably have to be It Happened One Night because that, those kinds of comedies were the first kinds of classic movies that made me excited about film. So I'm just going to go with that one because it's easy, but also because I think it's right. Okay. Uh, Mark, what about you? What's your favorite one off this list?
2: It's my heart versus my head versus my lifestyle. So what I mean by that is I would would really prefer to just occasionally look back on past romances and engage in a new one. So Rebecca... It really speaks to my heart. Now, I haven't had a tragedy like what befell Rebecca, but it's just, you know, I, I don't really care about exploring anything new. I just remember past glories. I love Rebecca. I, I Is it Alfred Hitchcock's best work, in my opinion? No. But it's, it, it is such a cool, creepy building mystery that it that just, it, it gives you all of this atmosphere and the way that it's sort of, crawls along is just it's such a perfectly paced movie that holds up to this day but the movie that affected my my head is obviously the godfather just because it is such a classic but i'm actually going to go with moonlight because i don't i i can't remember a time that that i was that emotionally moved as an adult in a theater with a a new perspective a world that i had not explored that much that because we hadn't seen subject matter like this on screen very often and the fact that barry jenkins made such a beautiful movie that was able to transcend boundaries and to get into the public consciousness and let's face it we know that a lot of campaigning especially today is how movies get into award season and get into that vitamix the fact that moonlight could jump all those hurdles and then with What happened with the frozen envelope that night at the Oscars, I, I feel like Moonlight, it was such a beautiful ending to that story, both in the movie and then also what we got with the journey that the film went on to receiving Best Picture. And so for all of those things, I just I have such fond memories now of Moonlight, but it also every time I watch it, I, I see something new in it.
4: Can I just can I jump in for a second, because I, I feel like it was almost, it, it's sort of ironic that, you know, the the highbrow guy went with the, the sort of crowd pleaser that's already a number one <laughs> slot, and you chose a movie that I, I also adore. I mean, I think the thing about Moonlight that's fascinating is that it's almost too, it's easy to forget that it was in the mix even now, because it, it, even now, like five years later, it's so radical that that movie won. I was in the room at the Oscars when that happened, and... What was fascinating about the kind of air of disbelief among people who were like watching, hadn't seen it on TV, were just like seeing this weird thing happen on stage and then at the bar afterwards, trying. was that even if you took away the weirdness of the envelope thing, it still didn't quite seem right. It was like, how on earth did this one and a half million dollar production about a gay black kid in Miami, you know, not just fall off everyone's radar i mean this is just such a radical kind of moment and i think when we look at a movie like moonlight the question is why why aren't we seeing more movies like that cross over on a regular basis and that's sort of yeah. a challenge that the oscars create in a framework to talk about the challenges of the industry so it's a good choice there
0: yeah i remember that with moonlight that was one of my This was my first years sort of doing this professionally, like I was getting paid. And I remember being at TIFF that year, which the moonlight year is an interesting year for me, because that was actually the year that I also met Rotten Tomatoes. And Eric, I think that was the first time you and I met was at that TIFF, maybe. Yeah, at that one. And that was five years ago. And yeah, I just, I remember writing, you know, for the site that I was writing back then saying, like, you just do not understand how like when I think about that last shot of Moonlight and, and with Alice sort of like looking back at the camera on the ocean, that's the first Chiron, the young character looking back and that's like kind of how the film ends. I just remember even after we saw it, I saw it for the first time at TIFF even, and it premiered at Telluride, just being like, this is just next level, you know? And I'd seen Medicine from Melancholy, which Barry's first film, which premiered at South by, I'd seen it there. But to just kind of see what he did. um, Yeah, for me personally, that's why I have such an intense uh, feeling towards that movie. It was the first review I ever sat down and did not feel at all equipped to be able to accurately convey to an audience what They were about to witness if they got a chance to see this film. It was a filmmaker who I felt such an affinity for because he talked very much about how, you know, you know, going into film school, even though he had an aptitude and he had a love of film, his upbringing put him at a disadvantage. You know, he had to go and take, you know, classes to sort of get on the level when he was first at Florida State with some of his other folks when it came to lighting. He had a huge film knowledge and a film affinity, but because he grew up where he grew up on South Miami where there weren't the resources there, even though he was smart enough to get into the school, he still felt very far behind. And I just identified with not only that movie, but the filmmaker behind it and the story that he told about how um, he made it happen. And so, yeah, Moonlight's definitely my favorite on that list for that reasons, but I love Spotlight. I adore It Happened One Night. Everything about that is the reason why I'm still an unabashed rom-com Fan uh, everything that I love about that, and I was another this, best this picture. close
2: to going spotlight too. I was I was yeah I, be, because I, I it's such a rewatchable movie to me. Like as much as I love Moonlight, I I that movie affects me in a way that I I can't just throw it on on a weekend. It, like Moonlight's never just going to be like oh coming up after Jaws is Moonlight on TNT. No. Um, but but Spotlight is just one that at, wherever it is in the movie i'm just i'm pretty much doing it's it's like american gangster in that way where as soon as it comes yes. on i'm like well i gotta finish this cancel my plans yeah.
4: Well, Absolutely, we have to acknowledge also *Parasite* having that sort yeah. of appeal. I mean, yep. also mm-hmm. just because of the, I, I after, as I, as I, I thought about this list and I thought about how, for me, it happened one night was a real formative movie going experience, which is why I, I have the reaction to it that I have. But you go the other aspects of this list that are really fascinating are just what it takes to cross over, and with Bong Joon Ho, a filmmaker who by the time he made *Parasite* was really an amazing director who had done all this i mean my favorite bong jun ho movie is still the host which i think is especially relevant now it's like one of the great monster movies to anticipate a global pandemic you know it's like just so so well made all the way through and yet something like parasite like every scene is just so well directed and that's what got a Korean movie from a director who wasn't as widely known in this country as he should have been to really cross over. It was just like, it just worked scene by scene. So that's my number two.
0: I think of Bong Joon-ho and Mark uh, will understand this. He's definitely one of the Patrice O'Neill's of directors. Like he's your director's favorite director. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this is Quentin Tarantino's, one of his favorite directors, which makes him not necessarily somebody that everybody knows, but Mm -hmm. the fact that like, when he won the director's branch was probably the happiest they would ever have been because although this wasn't a lone director oscar like you know thomas's this year for another round or the way um uh cold war um uh pavel was for that one this is that Mm -hmm. same feel where it's Mm -hmm. like this was their choice this is who the directors were very much behind for everything that they were able to achieve. Um, I yeah, love that
2: comparison. I, I imagine a Bong ho movie playing at a film festival and and the screening sold out and and all the critics missed out because they didn't get there in time. And then the movie ends and walking out is every famous director that you've ever seen because that's the exactly. director's director. That's a well you know, done, Jack. when There's a reason why you're really good at podcasting. <laughs>
0: Shut up! And I'm just
2: trying to keep up with you, sir.
0: I mean, literally, I, I very much feel like we got drafted to the Olympics. Eric, you've been doing this for how many How many years has uh, Screen Talk been on?
4: No, I, I've just been bickering on a podcast for six odd years with Ann Thompson. There's not much complexity there. People sometimes are like, oh, I really like that argument you had three weeks ago. I'm like, I definitely don't remember what you're talking about and I'm not sure I want to, but I'm sure you got something out of it. so
1: yeah no actually is.
0: y'all are great couple y'all give great
1: mm-hmm.
0: odd couple felix under the like auntie who's like shut up junior like there's just like a lot of that in, in y'all's dynamic and i love it i appreciate it it's also technically maybe kind of his boss but she's just like yeah whatever eric like i
4: think he you're is not already. my boss for the record no no, <laughs> the, other out there.
0: <laughs> no the other way around No, the other like 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 boss? you're the exact yeah, yeah like you're technically depends on boss. which day <laughs> it depends on which day exactly we're gonna start keeping very, score but very much she's just like yeah whatever i'm <laughs> just setting him aside which i appreciate um let's go ahead and talk about the broad sort of best picture winners and this is like again the 93 my favorite on that broad list is very different than the top 10. Eric, what about you if you had to pick? And again, it's emotional. This is not to say this is the best one, but just which one do you particularly love? Like if you had to put on one right now, which one would you put on?
4: It's weird. I, I, I was just watching Underground Railroad and uh, it made me remember how much I adored 12 Years a Slave, a movie yeah. that seemed like it could have been sort of like a a, a white Hollywood guilt movie in a way. But to me, mm-hmm. was, what I found so striking about it was I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan, even going back to his experimental art films that he was doing for galleries, which he still does, you know, in a, in a totally different for a different audience. But what I thought was really fascinating about it was that it, it was able to be this sort of emotional survival story and, and, and sort of adventure movie and at the same time just to like be visually it was just so gorgeous. It's such an amazing sort of way to capture this terrible moment in American history. And uh, I've come back to it a couple of times over the years, and I always find new little details that I latch on to because I think McQueen is actually one of our great underrated filmmakers outside mm. of that particular Best Picture win. I mean, look at Widows, which came around. It took them years to get that made, and it just didn't have the kind of impact that it should have had. That was such a fun Th- timely thriller with so many yeah. great performances and and it just didn't have the impact that it deserved to have so I do I yeah. do come back to that movie quite a bit
1: ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana It doesn't get any better than this Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes
0: There really is no place like home Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery. It's interesting that you bring up widows because I personally think that looking at a movie this year like Judas and the Black Messiah and then looking at a movie like Widows and like the fact that people could put it there for that film which is pretty much just a very commercial thriller that happens to center in on these very important figures in the civil rights movement. It has a clearly socially conscious um, narrative to it but it's, it's an unabashed crime thriller. Um, and I think Widows had all of those things and it still just could not make barely a ripple outside of, um, I think critics, um, and not even, you know, obviously that deep, even with audiences. Uh, what about you, Mark? Um, the overall list, what's a, what's a fave for you?
2: So I have to give a couple of honorable mentions because I, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and, and I think I arrived at the fact that if he's not my favorite, he's probably in my top three favorite actors all time is, is Gene Hackman. And so mm. I will put unforgiven, but especially the French connection as my my number two or, or three, just because any thriller that you watch today, especially one with a car chase, and even going back to Eric's joke earlier about the Fast and Furious Nine trailer, any car themed film, you, you just don't get that unless you have those epic chases that William Fried can masterfully shot with The French Connection. But if I'm going with my heart, which I end up doing at the end of the day, I'm going with a more recent movie that is not the most unpredictable film I've ever seen, but. The King's speech spoke to me in just such a visceral, personal way. Watching someone, um, th- the way that that movie opens with the framing of the microphone, looking over a crowd, how so many people um, are symptom to Jerry Seinfeld's whole joke where the number one fear is public speaking, the number two fear is death. So if you're at a funeral, it's better to be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And the way that, that Colin first King o- overcomes his stammer with the help of someone like Jeffrey Rush's character in that scene where Firth and and Rush are going back and forth and they start to yell and Firth just says, I have a voice. Yes, you do, Bertie. Oh, my God. It gets me every time.
4: Joe uh, Biden's favorite movie too. There must be something. Yes.
2: There. All right.
0: Hey, look, and I mean, let's be honest, a man that overcame a stutter, I can totally understand why. that it makes that movie, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes absolutely a lot of sense. Uh, for me again, I, I will, I will put a few things on here. Uh, basically every musical on this list with the exception of the Broadway Melody. It's also our lowest ranked one. So no surprise. Um, you can put me down for it. Um, Chicago An American in Paris, like all of them I live for and could literally put any one of them on right now and would be singing sound of music, gimme. Um, but there's a part of me too. I will say that, um, always has a love. For uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman's particularly, anything that Paul Newman did, I found to be amazing. One of the saddest parts of my entire journalistic career is I never got to interview the man. He was, uh, had passed long before I started doing this uh, full time, but I-, I can't think of a single movie of his that I don't have love or love watching him in it. So there's that. But um, my favorite director of all time, without question, is Billy Wilder. And to me, The Apartments... Is just brilliant, and Shirley MacLaine is brilliant, and Jack Lemmon is brilliant. It has a twisted and slightly broken woman at the center of it, which don't sign me up for a good time. I love it. I love <laughs> movies that have that. Every movie that I love, um, besides that, um, deeply has similar beats to it and has similar characters. And so, yeah, I, I definitely every in the Lost Weekend too. I want another one of Billy Wilder's that's on this list uh, is just incredible. Um, but yeah, the apartment—the apartment just really has, uh, I think, everything for me. And yeah, that—that that is one of my all-time favorite movies. I—I I will always put that one down. And so that's probably my, I would say, favorite. It's another reason why I love. Um, it happened one night to people who aren't supposed to be together. With a woman who probably isn't the best person to say that, and I will just give a last one to *Silence of the Lambs* because Jonathan Demme is another one of mine. Like, like I'm a fan of like it's what's weird is I love *Silence of the Lambs*. My favorite Jonathan Demme movie is *Married to the Mob*, which nobody else would probably say that, but I love that it's movie. A fun Michelle one. Pfeiffer. Oh my God, M- Michelle Pfeiffer, Matthew Modine. I love, love, love that movie. Um, so yeah, I'll also put that one up there. But yeah, *The Apartment*. Now *The Apartment* forever um where would you put so real quick where would you put your favorite eric if you could just give me a number where you think it should be in the
4: 93. oh gosh uh maybe you know nine eight something like that i mean it's it's a bummer that it's not in the top 10 for sure but these rankings keep changing around right so there's still time yeah
0: there is still time. What about you, Mark? Where would you put um, Where would you put your number one on the list?
2: You're not going to find a big argument from me that the King's Speech needs to be in the top ten <laughs> of these movies. Mm. Um, I it, because again, it, it it speaks to me on a personal level, and I think it's brilliant filmmaking. But I might have to bump out. The American in Paris, it, just to get it on the top 10. But that movie is pretty much Murder's Row. I mean, the top 10 that we have right now, it's the closest thing that we have to the 1927 Yankees. I mean, it's really, really good. There, there's, It's tough yeah. to take a movie out of that lineup.
0: I agree. Um, the other thing I will say too is it's hard for me to say which should go up because there's several films I would like to push into the, at least the top 20, including Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I believe that yeah, Lost Weekend is at 25. I'd want to push that one higher. And so there's like a host of things I would think that I would want to have higher on the list. Movies like Schindler's List and 12 Years a Slave, as much as I appreciate and love everything that they did, I don't want to see them again. And so it's hard for me to push those very high up on the list. They're Um, Same thing with a movie like The Artist. I'm like, I, I get the technical and filmmaking achievement with that, but I have no desire to watch that movie ever again. And so there's a lot of those that I would definitely push down. And then there is one glaring omission in my best picture watching history, which I think I've pretty much seen everything save Lawrence of Arabia. And there's reason for that. It's too long. I have not committed to the time yet. Don't be mad at me, don't be mad at me. And I wanted to see it on a big screen because that's the other thing. And I came from Texas and out here in California, one of the three things I liked when I made the very stupid, and it seems the only decision to move from Austin, Texas to Los Angeles, everyone else is doing the opposite.
2: and ruining my city
0: yeah i said it
2: that's it. that's um, largely the fault of comedians so on behalf they're of not, comics they're i are not sending
0: <laughs> yeah and they're not sending their best i'll just say that <laughs> said it uh anyway uh, i'm an austin person i've lived in austin for the better part of two decades i can say that anybody else that just moved there take it but what i would say is you can watch movies that were old movies on the big screen at some of these incredible theaters, like the Alamo did a very good job in Austin, but there's no way they're gonna be able to do something like Lawrence of Arabia, but they can do that at the New Beverly. And so or I was Arklay. just waiting- I saw it at ArcLight. may it rest in peace wow. for the
2: moment. So, uh, you know, hopefully there's some sort of savior that comes in because we all have had probably great experiences at the ArcLight. but I did see Lawrence of Arabia on the, that was the first classic screening I saw there was Lawrence of Arabia and that is the way to keep my old ass awake is to see it in on a giant screen like that. Watch it like it's a miniseries, like I did with the Snyder Cut. Come on.
0: No,
4: I don't you know, believe. That. I don't know if any of y'all remember with the year that John Stewart hosted the Oscars. He had this great joke where he was looking at his iPhone when they came back from a commercial break, and he said he was watching Lawrence of Arabia. He's like, I think those little things are camels, and that's <laughs> sort of the challenge that you're formula- yeah. formulating here. Is that movie was designed to be a big screen kind of experience, and mm-hmm. if you just miss a window, then you're not going to get the full picture. And yeah, it's, it's pretty freaking long. I mean, that's why I still think movie theaters have currency even more than the big screen thing, because once you're in that dark room, you might be more likely to stick around for a while than if you're on your living room and there's a million other things you could be doing with your eyeballs.
0: Yeah, I know we're a little short here on time, but I did want to at least let everybody chat about the other thing with Oscars is it's sort of lockstep with what I would consider like social conscious, social commentary. And and because of it, there's like controversial things that have happened. We've already talked on some of them, like the fact that Crash won over um, Brokeback Mountain. You know, some people said, you know, the fact that Do the Right Thing wasn't nominated and that was the year that Driving was Daisy one, um you know goodfellas basically every scorsese movie before he finally won um you know shakespeare in love versus saving private ryan real quick quick hit what has been your most puzzling favorite to talk about maybe you're on the other side of it oscar quote unquote controversy and this can literally be anything from oscar so white to this should have won what what is your favorite sort of oscar controversy real quick mark and then i'll go to you.
2: the one that bothered me as a child and still does to this day that roger ebert first illuminated to my young ears that hoop dreams not only didn't win best documentary of the year it came out was even nominated for best documentary of the year it came out the movie is great it still holds up to this day and the fact that hoop dreams was not nominated i'm not going to hashtag it oscars so white but it 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 felt an awful lot like that movie got marginalized for more reasons than just it's a sports documentary
4: i agree with that uh eric what about you you know i think that when monique won for precious there was such a weird kind of backlash to her and the campaign and everything about that process of getting her to the stage it was it was and then she just sort of dropped off the map again and i thought it was really frustrating but also i could go on and on about how everything we talked about with oscar so white that came a few years later was anticipated by the way that that challenge went down and you could also see it with melissa leo uh the way she had to basically run her own oscar campaign and people said why is this crazy middle-aged woman paying for her own ads. And the reality was because nobody else was doing it. And she deserved that performance getting recognized the way it did. So I think we've had these sort of success stories in, in the last like 20 odd years with people who had to kind of like force the system to work before the system I started to realize that it needs to work better. And, and that's the kind of stuff I can go on and on about.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. There's an entire machine, a machine that keeps me and Eric and a whole host of other folks that operate in the Oscar ecosystem employed. So I don't want to like throw too many stones um, at, you know, essentially the the Goliath that feeds me, but just a few. Th- just a few, because you're right. They're not behind the times. I the worst thing I hate when people say they're like, oh, but the Oscars are so liberal and they're so forward-thinking, and they're the movie, they're the people that gave Moonlight the best picture. I'm like, y'all are cutting to the bottom page on like a freaking decades of them ignoring. Things And being like, mm, we can't give it to the gay cowboy movie because that's right. just too much. And we're trying to make ourselves more populist. And, and the Oscars are a group of 9,000. Still, after all of the diversification efforts that the Academy Awards went through to try and up their membership, they are still primarily 65 to 70 years of age, white men. That is still... I think it's like 78% of the Oscar voting population is that demographic. And that is with a concerted effort over almost five years for them to change it. That's how far they got. They hit their numbers, which is great, but those numbers are still abysmal is my point. And I think um, there, there is no part of me that says to myself, oh, this is equal when still this year in the 94th year, we're gonna have our very first movie that is produced by an entirely black producing team period, in the history of this. Um, That right there says a little bit about who actually controls what movies you see. Um, On a side note, I will add that Brad Pitt and Plan B have done more for Black filmmakers in the past 10 years than any hashtag ever could, and not necessarily something. He he produced both 12 Years a Slave and Moonlight, two Best Picture winners Mm -hmm. for Plan B. Anyway, uh, along with a host of other incredible stories like The Last Black Man in San Francisco and a whole bunch of others. Anyway, way to go for Plan B, DD, and Jeremy, and Brad. Um, my personal favorite controversy, and I wouldn't even call it a favorite controversy, it just was a controversy, and I'm just going to break it down. I will write an entire book on how Angela Bassett managed to lose to Holly Hunter in the Piano in a year that she was a double nominee and her better performance was in The Firm. Fight me.
2: Right. <laughs> that was the same year.
0: 1993. Wow. And it, I don't just call that racism. I just call that a lack of understanding how that biopic managed to still be within that formula, but still be incredible. People are still memeing that movie. It, tell them to take cake's good, Tina. You know, like that movie has like so many things. A lot of and, people saw it. Yeah. A lot of people did see it. And, and now with that in combination to this Tina documentary, which I think a lot of people say, if a movie, if a biopic is bad, it feels like a Wikipedia entry or just like a doc that they tried to film in a narrative form. Um, the reason that set that movie apart is Tina Turner, Tina Turner, uh, and, and, and what Angela did to embody her both through the troubles and every ounce of abuse that she felt, but like that moment when she's on stage, Ike has just literally beaten the crap out of her and she still gives the performance. So I, I, I live for that one, um, but enough of the controversy. Let's get down to the sauce. Uh, We're going to do a little something different um, to get in preparations for the Oscars. We're going to make our 2021 Oscar predictions on some of the nominees this year and talk a little bit about the history of the nominees. Christian, cue the music, please, sir. Okay, so before we get down to this, I want to go ahead and um, basically make you all go to the website and read all the lovely things that we've been doing and you know tout some of my work. Right now on RottenTomatoes.com, I have a host of prediction pieces where I break down the actor race, both supporting and uh, featured lead actor. And then I also break down best director and best picture. Those four pieces break down those categories pretty thoroughly um, for everything that's going on, the merits of each nominee, how they got there. And I also have my full predictions piece, which posted just yesterday, that breaks down all the Oscar categories and who I think will win. This is based on eight long months of the season uh, coming to this determination. And of course, you can head on over to IndieWire and check out their incredible coverage that is courtesy of Eric and their awards editor, my counterpart, Miss Ann Thompson, who we will definitely get back for an episode of Rotten Tomatoes Wrong very soon. But yeah, be sure to check out IndieWire. Also, if you want to win your Oscar ballot, please listen to what we have to say here and on the sites. But you can also download a ballot and predict it at home with your virtual Oscar ceremony or wherever you choose to watch them. It also includes the tomato meter score and the audience scores for every nominee so please be sure to check that out producing lucy um there are 23 categories this year but we're only going to make a few predictions today and whose ever predictions are the most out of the three for <laughs> us uh producing lucy will send you a nicely written email i have no idea what that is about but let's go ahead and it's start with... that's what you win oh i a,
4: nice like a great email
2: <laughs> I want it on this. Okay. Make sure you I'm, get I'm Eric's that. address because you don't have to worry about mine.
0: <laughs> gotcha. We'll do. I feel this. These are
2: the two, um, these are the two test papers I cheat off of to get my <laughs> predictions right. Excellent. I feel for it.
0: All right. So, real quick, let's go ahead and start with Best Picture. And we have The Father, Judas and Black Messiah, Mank Minari, Nomad Land, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Mark, who's taking it?
2: I would love to say Sound of Metal. I would love to say that, but I think that the more front-runner movie is one that I also thought was great is Judas and the Black Messiah. Ooh. See, when Are I get you- an ooh, it's an, it's intriguing, where it's like, oh, Mark picked the one that's not going to win.
0: I didn't say that,
4: actually, but go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Eric. But you kind of did. I mean, the reality that I, I actually really like a lot of these movies it's a it's a pretty strong category this year and i can see the logic of judas having a lot of support i love sound of metal and the fact that that movie got this far is amazing but read the signs and it's it's nomad land all the way
0: i agree with him my one caveat is this um and <laughs> Scott Feinberg, another one of our counterparts who write for The Hollywood Reporter, wrote an excellent piece um, this year about the apathy of Oscar voters. And I know, Eric, you probably know about this. I do my normal emails this time of year to producers, writers, members of the Academy, and I'm like, what have you watched? What have you seen? The conveying uh, thing that all of them have seen is not enough. (laughs) Mm, I have have not emailed a single person outside of my director friends that are Academy members, and they are notorious for being the ones that watch the most always, um, that has seen uh, every best picture nominee. Now, granted, these emails were last week, and a lot of them are treating this like finals week and cramming for the um, test. But Some of them are going to still fall short. Not every single one of them are going to use that as whether or not they vote for something. And this year, apathy is what I think a lot of these voters have to go against. And so films that people know a lot about and or love are going to be the only, I think, determining factor. And so I think Nomadland, it's theirs to lose. But imagine this, you're sitting down as an Academy voter. Everyone's telling you Nomadland is supposed to win. You watch it and you feel lackluster about it. I don't think if they're necessarily going to rank it higher. And I think a movie like the trial of Chicago seven, or even, you know, make it even more, uh, slightly more outlandish choice, something like Judas, which is loved, and maybe it is in the top three. I think the preferential ballot is going to fall into play this week if Land just doesn't walk away with it at 50%. Well, don't which forget very about well Minari,
4: cool. too. I a mean, preferential Minari. ballot is... That's the thing. It's like, the more that you get into it, the more potential upsets there are. Trial seems like it could be that ge- sort of general crowd-pleaser one, but it doesn't have a Best Director nomination. And, you know, Argo, yes, that, that can happen. But... If you were going to look at other possible upsets, then yeah, Judas or Minari could do that. And if they're all competing in number two slots or whatever, then you still have the Nomadland factor. So I, I'm i aware of this possibility that most of us could be very, very wrong and sort of talking about this in another podcast for years and years and years, but it, it still feels safer to go with yes. that one. If money's on the line, which I know for a lot of folks out there, it just might be.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I would say that the safe money is definitely Nomadland, but if they said Minari, or if they said um, trial, Trial, I would not in any way be surprised, oh, especially especially because I will take this advice, I heard this from someone who's a studio head, and they had said to me, um, people vote for movies they love, and although I, I, a lot of people talk about how they appreciate Nomadland, they don't love it, but if they haven't seen anything, and they're just basing it on what they think they should vote I think they would vote for Nomadland, too. So it's a little bit of both. All right, moving on to the best director. Um, this one, we have Thomas Vindeberg, who directed Another Round. David Fincher directed Mank. Lee Isaac Chung directed Minari. Uh, Chloe Zhao directed Nomadland. And Emerald Fennell directed Promising Young Woman. I think we are all going to be good on this. So can we even just say it all together? One, one two, two,
4: three. Chloe Zhao. Oh, yes,
0: yeah, yes, mom, it all together with different one.
4: pronunciations. <laughs> yeah, we
0: did, we did. It's awesome. It's awesome. But honestly, it's the easiest thing is to say she's gonna win. Maybe not to know where to emphasize every accent in her name, <laughs> but we can definitely say she's gonna win. This one has been really sewn up. I am not still. sold on a Nomadland winning best picture. It is like my 99.9% likelihood, but that's the way I am pretty much with any best picture front runner right up until the moment I post final predictions. So I will say that I think it's uh, Nomadland for best picture, but I know it is Chloe for Nomadland. But if there was justice in this world, Regina King would have been in this. And I know I'm not the person who agrees with that, but honestly, I think it is more about not just what you did, it's what you did with how you did it. And this was still her debut film. And I don't think it should be underestimated. And it did not feel overly produced. It did not feel like a movie where the people behind her were making it. It felt like her voice, her aesthetic, her look. Um, I just, it's easier, it's harder for her because it wasn't her words, I feel. Her script, meaning it was written by Kip Powers, who also wrote Soul. But anybody else you guys would want to see on this list or anybody else you would want to see maybe in a different year where they weren't going to automatically lose to Chloe?
2: <laughs> I might have Gosh. said Lee Isaac Chung, but I, I think that, 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 that Chloe's out, and that's sort of the reason why I went against Nomadland with my best picture pick, is I felt like that was it, what the Academy sometimes likes to do, is here's your prize for this movie. And then here's another movie's prize to split the vote, but yeah, No Badland Land is pretty tough to pass up for best director.
4: Yeah, but you are were... super cool that that Thomas Vinterberg is on here, Dogma '95 guy who's like inspired generations of cinephilia in the last twenty odd years. You know, he's he's not the kind of person who you often see recognized on that level. And another round is an international film that doesn't have the kind of parasite factor where it crossed over in quite the same dramatic ways. So it was really cool to see what he did with that movie recognized, but I think Chloe Zhao uh, for so many reasons is, is, is a more exciting pick here, not only because she's a different generation. It's a turning point. She, there hasn't been another woman. That's, that's won since Catherine Bigelow, who was the first, all this stuff is really important in on top of the fact that she's just a great cinematic artist. So let's, let's yeah. go for for that one
0: all right let's try and get through a couple more here before we get out of here best actress <laughs> good luck i'm at this point gonna go ahead and say i think it's viola but also it could be carrie and for me right now it's a coin flip between those two
4: she was pretty good on SNL, Carrie Mulligan. I mean, they they've got her working and she's she's quite popular. So so that would be not the most surprising upset and probably the most drama that you'll find among the major categories is is that one. But I do think that Viola has the edge. It seems to be that her name comes up more and more among voters, and even as they recognize maybe she's not the lead actress in that movie. She's not in the most scenes like like Chadwick is. But uh, it does seem like that role, what she does in that movie is the best thing about that, about Ma Rainey's black bottom. So I feel like that has translated and, and my money's on her.
2: Which is why it's yeah. all the more surprising that I th- I, I think Kerry Mulligan wins it. If I, I would, I, if I had a vote, I would vote for Viola Davis very narrowly over Kerry Mulligan, but I think Kerry Mulligan wins it.
0: Yeah, I will say this, um, I don't know if Carrie Mulligan resonates with Oscar voters because she's been performing in movies that have been on that sort of fifth, sixth cusp level Mm -hmm. for a while, and I just don't know if she's their favorite, and that is another factor for me with, with the, and we already know Viola is beloved, I mean since doubt the Academy has had an affinity for her. So, and there's something to be said for the fact that black actors often don't win for lead roles. So I think there's a part of that as well in this storyline that helps her. Moving on to best actor. um, I love this list. I think it's great. Um, But I think we all know it's Chadwick's. Like there's no question, right? Sealed up.
2: I would hope so. That's, Stephen Young is so good um yes but and riz and and riz too yeah and i mean look if you have to be that good of an and you also have to learn how to drum that well that, that's really <laughs> insane yeah. but I, uh, I think yeah. it's chadwick boseman's uh, statue posthumously unfortunate unfortunately
0: um, disagree with my if i wrong, but we're, for the last two, going to think that Daniel and the grandmother from Nari are going to be the, the ones on that one, I'm guessing. Yeah, but
2: uh, I,
4: I would say that it would be so awesome and not impossible for Maria Bakalova to be the upset here, because you do sometimes see upsets in supporting actor categories where, in retrospect, it made sense all along, like when people thought Stallone had it in lockdown for Creed and then it went to Mark Ryland's for Bridge of Spies, and people were talking about Bridge of Spies first. So there was sort of that enthusiasm that carried along all the way, and I think there is this interesting kind of question there. But ultimately, yes, I do think that this performance in Minari by Yoon Yoo Jung is the kind of thing that does tend to resonate, and the rest of the movie isn't necessarily going to to have that same sort of success. So I guess that I guess that's where the money goes, but I'm, I'm pulling for Maria. I think that what she did in Bora, at this uh, this Bulgarian actress who none of us had seen before just seeming like a total natural with this kind of stunt work in the context of a very ambitious piece of filmmaking that crossed over as a pulp culture event movie that to me is like the ultimate kind of achievement from just uh, in in terms of risk taking and what an actor can do in new ways and i i mean she's going to be around we'll have other chances to celebrate her she's like 24 or something but uh, but I think that that would be that would be a fun kind of upset to see. I also think that Yu Jung is a very underappreciated actress in a lot of Korean films, and that that would be a great triumph as well. As
2: long so, as I don't have to see Olivia Coleman's name when and going Close reacting to it again, then I'll be oh okay. I just as or long the other way home. around. Can you imagine or the other around? It could
0: be. Ugh sure anyway I, it's easy we're to gonna forget go, about that <laughs> we're gonna go ahead since, uh you have to get out of here Erica, on that
4: terrifying be, note <laughs>
0: yeah we're gonna do the close of the show and then me and mark will do uh the mailbag after you're gone okay. but eric thank you so much um tell folks what you're working on and where they can find you hey
4: thanks so much for having me on uh i'm always writing stuff at IndieWire, reviews, features, stuff about the industry. So you can find me at IndieWire.com. You can find me on the various social platforms at Eric Cohn and on Screen Talk each week with Ann Thompson where we just bicker about stuff. So if you like to hear two snobs interrupt each other and tell you where the industry is heading, please tune in.
0: (laughs) They're not snobby. They're fun. Uh, Thank you so much. Real quick. Also, um, we love to get folks like yourself to give us recommendations. Give us a movie recommendation for folks to check out.
4: Go see among the movies that are nominated this year that I think could deserve more attention. Watch the mole agent. I think it's still on Hulu. It is amazing. It's, it's, basically a, a documentary spy movie about old age that's inspiring and powerful and all these different kinds of ways and also quite funny. So no matter what you're looking for, I think you turn this thing on, you'll be really happy about it and glad that it got a little bit of Oscar attention, even if it's probably not going to win.
0: Yeah, because it's going to probably lose to an octopus.
4: It might. It might. <laughs> Hashtag stop the octopus. It's not too late.
0: There's <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. Much, much appreciated. We're going to let you get out of here and we'll right. do our normal wrap of the show.
4: Okay. Thanks for having me. I'll Thank see you, sir. you all around. Bye.
0: Bye. All right. That's it for us on Oscar predictions, Oscar history, Oscar controversy talk, but we still have time for our mailbag. We Don't want to forget about our, what did we decide to call the people that listen? Um,
2: So, so Eric now qualifies as a certified fresh guest, right? And then the ketchup crew is the name of our fans. Is that right?
0: All right. Yes. So we're going to open the ketchup crew mailbag. Here we go. This is from Matthew. Volra, uh, and this is his thing, an episode on Out of Africa. It's my mom's favorite movie. I can't stand it. <laughs> I was glad to be validated by its mere 67% on Rotten Tomatoes until I found out this MFR. Am- <laughs> He literally wrote, until I found out this mofo won best picture. Matthew, I love you. Uh, What? A best picture winner with a 62% tomato meter? Am I right that this is a painful, boring slog that fails the minute it tries to get us to uncritically identify with rich white colonizers who use Native Africans for labor? Are my mom and the Academy right? That it's a rich and fascinating historical romance with beautiful imagery, worthy of being called one of the greatest films ever made. I need answers, Mark and Jacqueline. I love you, Matthew. I really do take this as like platonic, but serious love because this is the funniest email we've ever had. And I, me and Mark have discussed Out of Africa once before on a podcast, have we not, Mark? Did we? Yeah, remember we did the By the Numbers for Best Picture. Yes. And we discussed at...
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So out of Africa, look, you're your I'm not going to to come down on people like your mom, because there is a historical romance aspect to out of Africa that can be very beautiful. The imagery is what I have the problem with, because as beautiful as the imagery is with that, there's also a lot of background shots depicting what you were talking about, where yeah. it's the labor of Native Africans working for rich white colonizers, and it just doesn't jive it probably shouldn't have jived in 1985 much less now and so if you want a movie from that era that holds up show your mom back to the future
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is out of africa it's meryl streep and robert redford right it is yes and, yes. and they're great and i love robert yeah, he's Red- so Brown. great Bye. but also it's all but don't worry matthew i don't did you guys already say this it's 90 on the list so that's good right it's, yeah. It's very it's low. So low. It's
0: the last it's one of the last ones that's not rotten. And there's three rotten winners on there. We don't even talk about the list, though, of rotten best picture nominated films. That list is is way too long. Um, Matthew, let's see, man. I'm, I'm glad that we got to do an Oscars show. So I am all about doing more of them. Um, once we've gone through the first uh, round of the DCEU, I'm sure we'll get there. <laughs> or at least that is my prayer. Um, Mark, do we have trivia this week? It'll maybe be just be me, you, and Lucy. But it's, what do we
2: it, got? It's my all time favorite trivia question, and I honestly can't remember if I brought it up before. But it's it's just the the best five pointer. If you're ever at a bar with your friends, pull this gem out and impress them. See if anybody else can intellectually spar with you when it comes to talkies. Name the three. There's only been three films that have gone 11 for 11 wins two nominations a perfect record at the oscars including best picture name the three movies
3: oh sh- jacqueline's gonna win um i'll go first just because jacqueline's gonna win that okay. won all the categories
2: mm-hmm. that won- oh no, th- not that what not that no movie's ever done like all 20 but it
3: has yeah, to say they didn't win all 11 they- nominations <laughs> okay
2: 11 wins
3: i'm gonna start with the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I'm going to say it. Lawrence of Arabia and The Sound of Music.
2: You are one for three. Congratulations. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> you are one for three. You got close with oh, man. Um, both from the, the, the aspect ratio <laughs> and the time of release. You got close with another one. Ah...
0: Uh. I know for a fact one is Titanic.
2: Mm-hmm. Titanic. Word of the Rings. For the Titanic other one. Thing, and came out a few years is before it... Lawrence of Arabia.
0: Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, All About Eve. Ha! Ah,
2: ben Hur. Ben Hur is. Th- it is. What it
0: All About Eve has a record, though? Those three. I think All About Eve is most nominations.
2: Yeah, all About Eve. It's All
0: About yeah. Eve and, and, and La La Land and Titanic have most nom- nom- nominations. And the other three have Jacqueline, most wins. Jacqueline, you are
3: impressive. That is. Imp- I know no, it's I'm your not. job, but like that's impressive.
0: <laughs> I literally almost said All About Eve. In fact, I was about to leave mm-hmm. with All About Eve, but then I thought about it because I remembered what it lost for. All right. That's it for us this week. I want to first of all say you guys can check out all of these Best Picture winners uh, that are currently nominated this year. They're all available uh, places to stream or download, so please check them out. If I had one to say you should watch it first, it would be Promising Young Woman, and then I would say follow that up quite quickly with um, I would say probably Trial of the Chicago 7, but both of them are not necessarily going to be things that make you happy, but you need to follow up something happier, like maybe Borat after promising young one, but either way, it'll be a good way to start. Um, also wherever you're listening to us, please be sure to rate, like subscribe, tell your friends, make sure they check it out. If you have any recommendations for something that we should talk about next, whether it be out of Africa or I don't know, what That out of that Africa is
2: it, it, that's going to be one spicy episode when we eventually get to it, and I hope that I mean, Volrath can can at least send us a soundbite to uh, from him and his mom. <laughs> you know what, yeah. Jacqueline and I take that week off, and we let the Volrath family come in here and just have a good old fashioned debate. About out of Africa. If you want to be like Matthew Volrath and you want to send us an email with your thoughts, with your comments, your concerns about movies, past, present, or future, hit us up. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Jacqueline, next week I am so excited because I'm gonna, I'm not going to yell in the microphone right now. I promised I wouldn't do it when we did the previous iteration of this movie, so I'm not going to do it right now. But I am so. So pumped because there's this guy, Scorpion, and there's this guy, Sub-Zero, and (laughs) they fight occasionally because they don't like each other that much, and they're going to be fighting each other on the biggest screen possible and also streaming. Mortal Kombat, we're talking about it, we're getting into it, and I am just, I cannot wait until next week. One, two, three.